you would, with me to Paul's letter to the Colossians. We'll be in chapter 3, and I will pray, and then we're going to be reading from uh, verse 12 to 17, 12 to 17. Father, we do want to thank you, and I pray, Lord, that as we come to this time, that we would, in meekness and humility, um, prostrate ourselves before you prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, prepare our ears to hear your truths, that they might conform us into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our desire this morning, Father, that he and he alone be lifted up, that he might draw us into himself, that he might reveal through the preaching of the word something of you, something of him. And I thank you that you'll do that. Holy Spirit, thank you that where we gather, you are here with us and that you will glorify the Son, that you will glorify the Father in the preaching. And so we ask humbly that you would do exactly that. Bless the people that are gathered here, the body of Christ, in the reading and the teaching of your word. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, I'll start in verse 12. Some of this I read a couple weeks ago, but we're going to keep it all together in one piece. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, I pray that you would just add blessing to your word. So as we come to this point in Paul's letter to the Colossian church, Paul is moving to that point that challenges us the most. It's the doing. Um, He has already, in the earlier parts of chapter 3, which we've covered, he's established um, his case against the philosophers, the angel worshipers, and others that were in um, the church of Colossae and Laodicea, tempting those people away through um, Gnostic worship or angel worship or other things. And he has taken that and established in the opening verses of chapter 3 the reminder that these Christians are to set their minds on the things that are above where Christ is and not on the things of this earth, um, which would include angels. Um, These are created beings. They are not the creator of those beings. He's then gone on in the latter part of chapter 2 to address the religionists that are also in the churches. So this is nothing new. It's been going on since Paul's day. And the religionists um, are the ones who do the rote traditions. Um, They have a form of the gospel, not knowing its power. They have a works-based philosophy, um, but it's really self-reliant the self-righteousness. They want to justify themselves in the sight of God by their good deeds. 
and Paul addresses that in the latter parts of chapter 3 up through um, verse 12, and then beginning in verse 12, reminding them that as the elect and holy and beloved of God, to put on the garb of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, that it is not the works of the flesh that a man is justified, but it is on the actual putting on of Christ, because Christ is your salvation. Um, so he goes on there and he describes that uh, in terms that we covered uh, two weeks ago, the tender mercies, the kindnesses, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. All of these things are attributes of the Lord Jesus himself and his earthly ministry that we are to put on, um, to become, not to do, but to become as Christ, which is God's work in us. So Paul has gone on and he's, he's got those things. So he's addressed, if you will, the mind through knowledge. He has addressed the heart through the emotions, through philosophies and desires and passions that come from within you. But he doesn't stop there. As he continues on in this section that I read, verse 14 to 17, above all of this, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Put on love. Let peace rule your hearts and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So he encapsulates those things once again, but he puts something new there. And that newness is that you don't just have those things, but you do those things. You have been made in that fashion and you start to live. You start to reveal Christ in the world which we sang in our opening song, we want to make him known. And we do that through our witness, and our witness is not something we do, it is who we are. If you look in the book of Acts, he doesn't say you will go witnessing, he says you will be witnesses. So it's who you've been made to be. And there's some descriptions here that we want to focus on, because as we do this, he takes it from the individual heart and he moves it out into the corporate body. So you'll notice, even up in verse 13, he says that we are to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. As he moves down into verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Why? So that we can teach and admonish one another. So there is an otherness that this is to accomplish. We are the body of Christ in the world. Um, James says it a little differently. James, a little more straightforward in James chapter 1, verses 21 to 27. Familiar verses probably for most of us, but James just says it this way. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then the part that most people don't remember in that same verse, deceiving yourselves. That's James. Be doers, not just hearers, because hearers are deceiving themselves. They have a form of knowledge but they don't act on it. So their knowledge doesn't change their will. Don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. When God commands it, be obedient. That's how James would say it. This is a total transformation. And this is where Paul is dealing in this section. He's not just dealing with knowledge anymore. He's not just dealing with your emotions or your desires anymore. He's dealing with the entire you, the will. The proof of what God is doing in you is in what God does through you. And that's what Paul is focused on here. He's reminding the Colossian church the difference between them and the Gnostics who had a beautiful worship service and a very eloquent way of doing it. 
He's reminding them that versus these religionists who have the high traditions and all of the right actions, there's something missing. And it's the transformation of the entire person, the new birth. You are a new creature in Christ. Above all, put on love. We generally think of love in the world that we live in as an emotion. The love of God is not just an emotion. It is a complete, total package. It's the knowledge of God that loves you. It's the heart of God that loves you, and it is the will of God that loves you. He knows who you were. He knows who you are, and he loves you. He does like you. You are the apple of his eye in Christ. So there is an emotional connection with the father as the son or the daughter of God. But it is a desire that God has based in a knowledge that only God has that led God to do something. And John 3.16 tells us the will of God was exercised in that he loved the world so much he sent his son to redeem us. That's the love that we are to put on. And again, this is, you got to remember, this is in the continuity or the context of the church. Put on love because it's the bond of perfection. It's the seal of all of those kind, tender mercies, those humilities, meekness, long-suffering. Without love, those are not possible. Love seals those bonds, makes them perfect, makes them um, able to be done. So he leads off with the love of God that is perfect in the bond of the church. He moves on in verse 15 and he says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Always the reminder, be thankful, but let the peace of God rule in your heart in the seat of your emotions, we live in a world that is full of conflict. We live in a time that is full of people and hatred for each other. It has never been any different. They were the same way in Paul's day. But we, it's not changed for us. And he's talking about in the church, amongst the body. There is conflict in the church. If you keep an eye on things going on in God's church right now, there are conflicts. And Paul is reminding them as they are under this pressure from these other groups in the church to let the peace of God rule in their heart. Not the peace of man. Not the safety of numbers. Not the other emotional things that we bank on. The peace of God should rule in your hearts. Paul says it differently in another place to the Philippian church. Again, hopefully these are familiar verses. But as he's writing to the church in Philippi, Paul says this. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Conflict, disputes, jealousies, envies. All of these things that he has earlier told us to put off. All of these things lead into these anxiousnesses that take over our hearts and make us start to think wrong things in wrong ways. But instead of being anxious, we are by everything or in everything, excuse me, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
Same words. Let your request be made known to God. And the promise of Paul in the Philippian letter is that the peace of God that he's telling us here to let rule our hearts, the peace of God which surpasses our understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The language there is a military term that when you admit to God that you are anxious, that you are having this issue, um, and you allow the peace of God to actually rule your heart, you cry out to Him. You confess your need for Him. You thank Him for hearing you. You thank Him that He is willing and just to forgive you if you'll confess your sins. And when you do that and you acknowledge that you need Him in this moment, He will send His peace like a military force to surround your heart and to protect it. That's the language that is in Philippians. That's why Paul here in his letter to the Colossians is saying to let this peace rule your hearts. Because right now in the world that we live in, and in our own nature, we have to confess this, we have a tendency to respond as Christians in how we feel. This, this song really moved me to tears. And so that must have been God because I was crying. Well, it probably was God if he was reminding you of his grace and his mercy and his kindness towards you. But those experiences do not change God. So when you're dealing with the negative experiences, God hasn't moved anywhere. He hasn't changed in one way. He still loves you with an everlasting love. He's still working in your heart. He is still calling you the apple of his eye. And he's working everything out for your good. Those are the promises of the scriptures. Those aren't Ron making up stories. But what happens is instead of our emotions being seated in the peace of God, the eternal things from verse 3, set your mind on these things where Christ is. Set your mind on those things. We get wound up in the earthly thing. Our anger, our envy, our pride, and that becomes the ruler of our heart. That's what happened in the beginning with Eve and Adam, and that's what happens with us today. So Paul is warning them, warning us, let the peace of God rule. Let it be the master of your heart. You have been reconciled to the Father, adopted as his child, given the right to be named a child of the Most High God. You have been restored. You have been redeemed. Let that rule your heart. And the things of this world, as the song says, will slowly fade. So let the peace of God rule your hearts. Put on love which seals everything and let the peace of God rule your heart and let the word of God rule your mind. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The Word of God should rule your mind, just as the peace of God rules your heart. It is the truth of God's Word, this Word which is faithful and true, this Word which is active and living and able to sever between bones and marrow, to expose sin, to expose wrong things. This Word which has been inspired, breathed by God into its writers for our edification. This word 
is to rule our minds. Let God be true and every man made a liar. The truth of God's word. It should rule our hearts. So this is Paul's exhortation. The word of Christ dwelling richly in us, the peace of God ruling in our hearts, and the love of God being put on and displayed in the body. And that's the next thing that I want to point out here is as he goes through here, these are not um, encouragements that are not to be employed. There is a doing that is necessary. So when he says in um, uh, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, comma, teaching and admonishing one another. There's something to do with the knowledge that God gives you. If you have been blessed enough that God has given you some insights into his word or the ability to read his word, the ability to see the truth of God play out in your life, he's not doing that for you alone. He's doing that so that you can admonish me, so that you can teach others. I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, as I was preparing this message, all week long I just kept thinking back to the years ago when I first came to this church and the men and the women that God surrounded me with that allowed me to grow. I was not and am not a perfect Christian. But boy, when I look back to them times, I just wonder why they just didn't tell me to leave because some of my thinking was so wrong and yet these men, living to this word, were admonishing me. But they weren't condemning me. Our, our human nature, the reason Paul's writing this is this is natural to us to do just the opposite of what he's saying to do. You get a brand new Christian and you see that brand new Christian out three nights later, drunk as Cooter Jones at the bar, and the first thought that naturally pops into your mind is they're not really a Christian. They're just pretending. The thought comes, we condemn each other. Real Christians don't do that. That's what these religionists would do. No, the, the real fact of the matter is, if we look at each other and if we're honest with each other, real Christians sin. They don't want to necessarily. They don't enjoy it anymore, but we do. We still wrestle with our flesh daily. We still must die to our flesh daily. We still, moment by moment, have to lock our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and pray for mercy, pray for grace, pray for his strength. And every one of us knows that we have done very, very bad things since we were saved. And yet, instead of loving each other, as God loved us so much while we were his enemies, in due course, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, we didn't make things right so that we were acceptable in the sight of God. We were not acceptable in the sight of God when he did what he did. That's the whole point. And yet we will turn on each other. And our minds get locked in these fleshly things. And that's why Paul says, put these away from you. These envies, these angers, these wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, covetousness, evil desires and passions, which is idolatry. Put it away. Look at the people in this room, the body of Christ, and see that that is a child of the Most High God, chosen by God, the apple of God's eye. 
a sojourner with me, a pilgrim on the road with me. Recognize who they are. Recognize that they are striving to love me just as I strive to love them. And neither one of us are perfect. That's the putting into practice these things. We have these words so that we can encourage each other, build each other up, strengthen each other, not excuse each other's sin, not commiserate with each other about how unfair being Christian is. Certainly not to lead each other into temptations and sin. It's to teach each other. Many of us, myself big time included, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. I think I know, and I realize, you know what? You know nothing. Every time I open this book, I realize how ignorant I am of the things of God. And I trust my class, Faith, this morning, said something, and I learned. It's interesting that we don't normally associate teaching and admonishing with anybody other than the pastor, maybe the Sunday school teacher, the elders. But this is written to the church. Know the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, and teach and admonish one another, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What God has given you through his word is for somebody else. It's for you, that's true. But if you're just rat-holing it, you're not, you're not doing what God has asked you to do. Live it out. Do it. I was going to title this message, Just Do It, but I was afraid it'd get copyrighted. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just do it. This passage, this place where Paul is focusing is what's driving the interaction of the body of Christ. This is not philosophy. This is not theory. This is not um, doctrine. This is practice. How do you love me? It says right here, above all these things, put on love. How do you love me? How do I love you? Sometimes I know I will only speak for myself. I've done some pretty unlovable things to some of the people sitting in this room. How do they love me when I'm like that? It's easy to love Jesus because he's perfectly lovable. But what about me? This is the challenge. This is what Paul is dealing with. This is what Paul is reminding them of by way of commandment, that this is the commandment of God to do this. This is not optional. So when we are admonishing one another, which is the word nobody likes to hear about, but it says in here that we will teach and admonish. Admonish means to urge on, to correct, to refocus. Because guess what? We all need it. And that's what was reminding me all of this past week as I thought about David Ortman and Doc Briggs and Ron and Pastor David and Gerald and Lloyd and Robin and all of these men that have been walking with the Lord for all of these years so easily could have just turned me away. 
They could have said, no, he's not really God's. Because real Christians don't do that. But they didn't. They didn't give me a free ride, by the way. This is what we are to do for one another. And why does Paul have to write this? Because there's sin in the world. Because there's sin in the church. Because we are hypocritical. Because we do things. Because we say things. That's why it's here. To remind us, don't. Put that off. That's the earth. That's fleshly things. That is Satan trying to grab a foothold of your heart and turn you against a brother and destroy this church or that church over down the street or that church over there because that's what he does. He can't undo what God has done in your salvation, but he can sure make a mess of God's church. He can sure make your life as one of God's children miserable. He can sure make you look at your brother with hatred in your heart. When we take these instructions to heart, the difference between us and these philosophers from chapter 2, these religionists from the latter part of chapter 2, is that we are no longer acting out what is contrary to our nature. When God does this work in us, when we allow the truth of God to rule in our hearts, when we allow the peace of God to rule inside of us, we are no longer acting on something that is contrary to our nature we are receiving the new life that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians. The new creature, the new nature. It is now assuming its position of authority over us, and we're acting exactly as we should. Exactly as our heart tells us we should. Exactly as our master commands that we should. The conflict goes away. Because it just comes naturally to me to love somebody that has slighted me, to love somebody that has cheated me, to forgive somebody seven times seven. It comes naturally to me. Why? Because I love that person. I don't expect them to be Jesus. I expect them to be a sojourner on the path with me. I expect that because they're human, after having studied this book, the great heroes of the Bible, there was only one that was perfect. Every other one that we hold up as an example was not. And yet they're the great stories. They're the, the images. They're that great crowd of witnesses that are urging us on as we run this race. But every one of them was flawed because every one of them was human, just like me, just like you. Because that's there, you're going to experience times when you need to forgive somebody and you're going to experience times where you need to be forgiven. That's why Paul says, forgive each other. How much? Just as Christ forgave you. How much was that? How much was that? Because you're going to have conflict in your life. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in the church. Somebody looked at me wrong. I stood up earlier and kind of stepped on Mike's toes without even knowing I was doing it. Now, he didn't get upset with me, but he could have. It's happened in the past. 
He took my limelight. Why do, why do we do that? Because that's our nature. We want people to notice us. We want to be recognized. We want our moment. So there's going to be conflicts. This person believes that dancing is a sin, and that person doesn't. This person believes that drinking alcohol is a sin, and that one doesn't. Conflict in the church. Can you love me anyway? There's going to be conflict. And if the peace of God does not rule your heart, it will turn into all-out war. You will have conflict. There will be times when the truth of the gospel is going to be challenged. It has been challenged since it was written. It will be no different for you and me. The truth of God's word will constantly be under attack. It's under attack in this nation right now in the church. You may not be aware of it. I pray that if you're listening or paying attention to any of it, that the Lord is guarding your heart so that you don't get sucked in. But there is a major um, battle going on in several denominations over God's Word. So I tell you that not so you can go look it up on YouTube, but so that you know the truth of God's Word is always under attack. The Lord Jesus was always under attack. God... Um, is always under attack because Satan and those principalities and powers at his command are trying to do what they know they can't do. They're trying to undo the things God has done. So there will be times when the truth of the word is going to be challenged and you need to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you can faithfully divide the word of God, so that you can faithfully correct with love in your heart is it a misunderstanding? That's why Paul is writing this, because these things happen. This is the human element. We are free from the power of sin, but we still live in a fallen world, and there is the presence of sin. So that's why Paul writes these imperatives, if you will, the deployment of the doctrine. Doctrine by itself does nothing which is what James was saying a lot more eloquently than me. But there's a human element in the body of Christ. In several of the letters, it is, it is dealt with. In Ephesians 4, 6, we're reminded by Paul to the church in Ephesus, there is one body. Diverse parts, diverse roles, but there is one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of us all. And that God and Father of us all is above us all, through us all, and he's in us all. There is one. There is unity in the church. There is diversity in the church. And we need to be reminded of that because as we interact with people, um, we have a tendency, if we don't follow these directions, to fall back into jealousies and envies. Joel plays his guitar much better than I've ever played a guitar. I could easily be jealous. I'm not, by the way. I'm glad. I'm glad I don't have to stand up here and try to play a guitar because I would just make a complete idiot of myself. 
There are teachers in this church that are much better at teaching than me. There are preachers, a lot of them, much better than me. I could easily be jealous. There are people that are more social, that just are drawn to people and have that energy. I could be jealous of that. I'm glad God puts them here. And that's why Paul is writing this, because we are one. And we need to believe these truths. If you go home this afternoon, and I hope this doesn't happen to any of us, but if you're like me, you're accident prone, and you injure yourself in some way. Say you cut your hand. Your hand hurts. Your brain knows your hand hurts. Your nervous system knows your hand hurts. There's blood. Everybody knows it hurts. Do you cut your hand off? What do you do? What do I do? We go to the doctor. Or we take, you know, if it's not a major thing, we put a Band-Aid on it. We wash it and clean it so it doesn't get infected. We cover it up and we nurse it along. You're the hands of Christ. You're the toes of Christ. If you stub Elroy, we're not cutting you off. We're going to put a splint on you and a big comfy sock, have you elevate your foot, and we're going to nurse you because you're one body with me. I'm not going to lop you off. We wouldn't do that to ourselves. We spend our time, so many of us, putting ourselves through so many testings and trials just to save a body part. If it wasn't important, why would we do it? we just get rid of it. i got three other ones. Because every body part is important. Every body part is important. That's why Paul's writing this to remind us that we are the body. And we need to do everything we can. And we have the greatest physician that has ever been. And he is able to mend what's broken and to heal what hurts and to restore what's missing. He's able to do that, and he does it through his church. That's why Paul's writing this. He closes this out in verse 17. Whatever you do, in whatever you do, in everything you do, in anything you do, in all things that you do, your, your, your translation may use a different word, in everything you do, in word or in deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Admonish in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be kind in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be humble in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be meek. Be long-suffering. Be patient in the name of Christ. If you won't do it for your brother, do it for your Lord. Because he's worthy. 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do it, thank God the Father through Christ. Thank you, Lord, that I am able to forgive when I have been hurt in Christ because I have been forgiven much. Thank you, Lord, that I have people in my life that are willing to teach me, to admonish me, to urge me on, to hold me up when I have no strength of my own. You've given me the people, the physical bodies, to do that. Thank you. In Christ you did that. It's all in Christ. Our eyes constantly look to him. The altogether lovely one, the one we sing of, the one that we want to make known. This letter is full of truths that are applied to the church of God. It is not knowledge. It is not emotion. It is all things. It is your total being. And these truths need to give command to your life. They need to be the informers of your perceptions, your worldview, the way you see things, the way you think of things need to be informed by these truths. And they should dictate how we love one another. We don't get to decide what love is. God gets to decide. So our instruction is how do we love one another? This section of this letter I mentioned earlier begins with the person. It moves on to the corporate body, and then Paul, as he continues on, keeps going. But for today, I'll stop. <laughs> I will stop. Because that isn't where it ends. If you've got your Bibles, you just read the next line. It's not just in the church. It's throughout your life. But I'll stop there today. Brothers and sisters, I would remind you, Paul's words, if then you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Allow the peace of God to rule in your heart. Allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly and be thankful. And in everything you do, do it all for Jesus, because he's worthy. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul. I thank you for this letter to the Colossian church, which reminds us that even in his day, there were challenges coming into the church. There were temptations to um, go down these religious paths of works which appeal to our flesh and make us feel good about ourselves, making us think that we have accomplished something, something worthy of your recognition, something that would make you, in fact, um, do something on our behalf. Lord, those same temptations are there for us today. Knowledge that we don't act on, truths that don't change our hearts, that don't move us, the same things that they dealt with in the church of Colossae and in Laodicea, we deal with in the church in Minot today. And so we have your word to guard our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who gives us grace, who pours out the mercies, who reminds us and points us every moment. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and walk on the water. 
do what is impossible in this world because there is nothing impossible with him. But only look to him and he'll do it. Thank you for that reminder this morning, Father. I pray uh, for your church this morning that, Lord, you would pour out grace upon grace that we might walk in this truth, that you might find us today, Father, pleasing in your sight, that you, Lord Jesus, would be glorified, that people would call out your name and praise you for the work that you're doing in this church and throughout the world. We love you, Lord, with all of our hearts, as feeble as we are. We offer ourselves to you this day, and we ask that you would be blessed as you are worthy of all of our worship, and we give it freely and thank you. We pray these things to you, Father, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen. If you'll stand and join us. <clears throat>